0: My name is Jay Hawkins, Uh, I live in Caldwell, Idaho. This is my wife, Carrie, right here. And we have three kids, uh, 22, 20, and next week, uh, 18. Um, And uh, it's a good time of life. Um, So I have been the preaching minister at the Caldwell Church of Christ for 20 years. And um, things that have happened in the church over that time, very much for us, uh, reflect and evolution and our thinking and practices in regards to the Holy Spirit. And um, there have been some really significant... Um, hey, Doug. Uh, and Mark. Oh, my goodness. Friends crawling out of the woodwork. Yeah, turn over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've had some, some key moments that have caused us as a church and me as an individual to, um, you know, do some serious thinking about this, about the Holy Spirit in relation to um, life and, and um, you know, the lives that people are leading. What I'm talking about today, um, in, in some of it, is going to be a reflection on that, uh, on, on things that have come out of our church experience. But also some of it is more um, reflection in the last several years that I've done on things that are happening in the culture and and, and how some of that's flowing into the church, um, the effect that it has on the thinking of, of Christians that I talk to in my church and in other churches and um, thinking about why the Holy Spirit matters to that. I'm not going to try to give so much a comprehensive view as I just kind of want to point in at some different things. And so um, so let's talk about this, um, but let's pray first. Father God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and uh, all that the Spirit mattered to uh, the early church that is just such a a continuing testimony to us about uh, the guidance and power and uh, wonder um, that the Spirit represents. Pray for our time today uh, and that this would be useful and that this would uh, help us in greater ways to give glory to you in Jesus name, Amen. Amen. So what I want to do, I want to do this in three parts and that is, just talk about a few things that are going on in the culture and the church, and why the Holy Spirit matters to those things, number two. And then, three, I just want to point at a couple um, practical things that we can do. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and um, talk about some things in the culture and the church. What I've done is is grabbed at some things that I have heard from people and um, that uh, both in talking to people, reading things, um, talking to other ministers, and just sort of amalgamated into some quick illustrations just to to be representative. So let's say that we have a non-Christian woman named Angela who goes to a counselor because she is dealing with some stress in her life and at some point in in the counseling, the counselor says to her, you know, one coping strategy is think about what do you love to do and do more of that. And one thing that Angela has done a couple times that has just been a happy experience for her is when she goes hiking, she'll take a pad of paper with her. And just stop at some points and maybe scratch a couple lines of poetry. And she thinks, there's something about that that I love. And so uh, she starts doing that more deliberately. Okay, and um, so Angela, coming out of, uh, Angela is a non Christian, coming out of a non Christian perspective, her friend one time says something to her um, pointing at the spiritual. Her friend is talking to her about um, her, love, her friend's love of gardening, that she raises a special variety of flowers. And uh, her friend says, this used to be just a hobby, but now this is like something spiritual for me. And Angela thinks about that and says, thinks to herself, you know, is hiking and poetry, would I say that, is it something spiritual? And she said, yeah, this is something that feeds my soul. And so she hangs on to that. Example number two, the Fourth Avenue Church faces uh, COVID and goes through a long season. And one of the things that they miss is the church altogether being able to do some kind of fellowship event like a potluck. And so, after more than a year goes by, they have uh, a picnic in the park. And it's not just kind of ordinary picnic that they might do. They make this special, and there are games, and there's times to, to share stories, and uh, just lots of time to hang out. And if we were to listen to that church afterwards about what they loved about that time, um, you'd hear a few common themes, and one would be just their appreciation for the people who put that picnic together. And another one is just the, the joy of having long conversations with each other. And another thing is you'll hear people say, we just didn't realize how much we missed. Uh, being able to be together, all together, and just relax, and just have fun. Example number three, Jane and Darlene are co-workers at a company, and things in this company are bad. Uh, There is bad blood between departments, and disrespect for customers, and a lot of blaming when things go wrong, and there's distrust of senior management, and, and Darlene and Jane will get together and they'll talk about their frustrations. And Jane is a Christian and Darlene is not. And uh, Darlene will just unload especially and talk about how horrible these people are and I have got to find a different job, this is terrible. And Jane listens and agrees sometimes and comes to a point where on her own she's thinking about this and she's thinking, how did this happen? Is there something bigger here than just people choosing to act horrible? And Jane, as a Christian, is trying to make sense of this from a spiritual perspective. How does a group of people fall into a mess like this? Okay, so a few traits of our time. One is people long for the spiritual. We see this in the culture broadly. And the thinking for some time was that as we moved into a secular era that as kind of the whole support system, the foundation of belief for spirituality as it fell away, well people just wouldn't be thinking about the spiritual anymore. And that is not the case. Instead, it is a proliferation of all kinds of spiritualities uh, in our culture. And so someone like Angela is fairly typical, a non-Christian who, uh, she's reaching for something in her life and to, to say that something is spiritual, that makes it more meaningful. Um, this is very true in churches, a hunger for the spiritual. Second thing is that Christians miss opportunities to describe life in spiritual terms. And so if you think about the Fourth Avenue Church with their picnic, the the things that they reflected on afterwards are all about people. The things that people did and what people experienced. but. Is there a way that we can talk about that picnic in spiritual terms? Now, maybe um, some people would get defensive and say, well, you don't always have to name the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit to be working. That's absolutely true. Holy Spirit works in lots of places that we don't put our finger on. But... If the Holy Spirit is not named when there are significant opportunities, we lose something Um, and especially in a culture that is spiritually hungry. The search for the transcendent can become a turn back to the self. By transcendent, we are talking about something that is above or that is beyond what is visible, what what we can quickly and easily access. Um, We are living in the midst of a long move, both in Christian circles and in the larger culture, to bring spiritual significance to many activities that people do, just the things of life. And so Angela is an example of that with hiking and poetry, right? Applying some kind of spiritual significance to that. And and this is something that I hear with so many different kinds of things, that people may speak about uh, cooking as a spiritual activity or playing a sport or a new romantic relationship. Or uh, I think about 20 years ago or so when all of a sudden in Christian circles there was a slew of books um, about watching popular movies from a Christian perspective. And in these books, you know, take a movie like Shawshank Redemption and and talk about Christian themes and that. All of a sudden we were seeing a lot of that. Um, and so there, there's been a lot of this. Now, um, I will point out, some people would say, well, man, you go back to the Protestant Reformation and you see that kind of thing with Martin Luther. You know, He talked about spirituality and, and ministry and being a baker or a, a brewer. Um, so there is good and bad to this. Good that obviously we need to get uh, spiritual, Out of a very narrow religious setting. Mm -hmm. But spiritual can often mean just what floats my boat, (laughs) you know, just what I find exciting because I find it uh, deeply meaningful, then it's spiritual. And that's really all it means. And there's not much real sense of spiritual meaning beyond that. Why? because the self, you know, our self is what we know best. And so kind of the effect of it is that that I really want something spiritual, I'm reaching for that and it just like turns back on me and it's really just about me. This may be most obvious as a non-Christian problem, but it is a reality in Christian circles too that people in our churches have a hard time actually um, talking about the spiritual meaning and significance of the things in their lives. Um, Okay, one more thing. And again, uh, as I said, I'm not trying to present a comprehensive view. I just kind of want to point at a few things here. But people are losing meaningful spiritual vocabulary So I go to the example of uh, Jane, the Christian, and Darlene, the non-Christian, in this dysfunctional company that they're working for. What language do we use to talk about a situation like that? And and obviously, um, I'm sure that you could talk about leadership problems in that company. I'm sure that you could talk about the elements of toxic culture. But, you know, think about how we as Christians have this wonderful spiritual vocabulary of sin and evil and grace and redemption, um, of, of uh, phrases like in Ephesians 6 the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Um, and I certainly hear others saying that they experience the decline of vocabulary, not just in the broader world, but even in the church. That, that we're grabbing at kind of other terms, other words from the secular world, and that we find them for some reason more useful at times. That's not bad, you know, we can learn lots of things uh, in the secular world. But, but we do have this wonderful vocabulary of spirituality that should be accessed. And so, is there a way that Jane can access that vocabulary to think about some of the things happening in her company? If you take away the vocabulary, it makes it harder to name, to identify some things that are going on. All right. That's supposed to say part two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why the Holy Spirit matters to these things. So uh, just one uh, piece of our evolution at the Caldwell Church of Christ as we, we uh, talked about this. Um, one thing was that, that in thinking about some of the things that were happening in our church and coming back to it, wanting to dig deeper, even after some changes that we had, had um, that had happened in the church culture in relation to the Holy Spirit. But coming back saying, man, we still have work to do, and me doing some uh, deep diving into um, research and reading and, and studying on the topic of the Holy Spirit and Christian spirituality. And then doing some experimenting in our church and, um, you know, I I did a sermon series and we, um, through that, kind of gave some people some things to reflect on and some experiments to try in their lives. We had uh, discussion groups. Um, I asked the elders if they would do some deliberate reflection among themselves um, about where our congregation is at and uh, our changes. We had a big discussion event uh, as a church, and, uh, and this was good. But one of the things that I definitely heard out of that time was how desperate people are to think about and to experience and to know the Holy Spirit. Um, Even though, man, I thought we'd been doing (laughs) so well and yet to hear so much more of that, like, man, uh, we've got a long way to go. And so some things that um, um, we can see with the Holy Spirit in relationship to things in the culture, some of this coming out of my reflection um, again, in our congregation, but also uh, other things that I'm seeing. Through understanding the Holy Spirit, people can make better sense of their stories. We have an older woman in our congregation who, um, a number of, years for, uh, number of years ago, for the first time, she shared a story from a devastating time in her life where she had gone through a divorce. And um, her husband had been cheating on her, and uh, very quickly the marriage broke up when she discovered it. And she's just so yeah, so devastated, just living in this desolation, feeling isolated from uh, relationships and from her church. And um, just so broken and she, she shared this story that one time she's lying in bed and she cries out to God, she says God, you don't know what I'm going through and she gets something in this moment and it's one word and it's just like it drops like a pumpkin into her lap and the word is rejection Jesus knows what I'm going through. I've experienced painful rejection and Jesus knows about rejection. But I realized in her church environment for a long time, she could not share that story because that would just be a little too weird. And we'd come to a place where it was okay. That wasn't a story where she could say, I had a great spiritual experience in one moment of my life. The reason she told it is because it gave some significance, or or I'd say some meaning, to a whole period of her life. And as we as a church talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, she really saw, not just that one event, but she saw the Spirit's work through that time, um, doing things, walking with her through that um, and so that that was uh, an important learning for me. Um, another person uh, t- had a real, I, I don't think a particularly unusual story. Um, she'd actually had a divorce as well in her life. Um, but but lots of kinds of ups and downs and ins and outs and and this kind of random thing happening and this opportunity coming up in life and coming out to a place of, being settled and um, at peace, a sense of contentment. And really, rather than seeing this as a series of random things, seeing the Holy Spirit bringing coherence to all of that, you know, to walking with her as she um, made her way through uh, all these ups and downs. Um, Number two... Uh, second point here is the Holy Spirit's unique person and role matters. In um, one conversation that I'd had uh, um, with a couple of people, three of us were just talking about, you know, why why does the Holy Spirit matter to to us and to our uh, church life? Um, what difference does it make? You know, how how do we individually uh, appropriate this for ourselves? One person said, um, said, you know, I hear all this and I, I love it that we're talking about this, but I don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I but I do talk about God. And the Holy Spirit is God, so if I say God, that's the same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> No, there is a difference. Um, we certainly see uh, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit overlap in their roles, but the Holy Spirit has a unique role. It's a broad role. The Holy Spirit is involved in, in so many aspects of uh, ministry and salvation and all these things. I mean, if we take the New Testament seriously, the Holy Spirit shows up, so many different ways, Um, but it is a unique role. Um, First that you have to mention is the Holy Spirit's ministry of presence. The first task of the Holy Spirit is to be the presence of God with us, individually, uh, in the community of the church, uh, in the broader world. You go back to the Old Testament and God promises again and again and again, I will be with you. To Abraham and to Jacob and to the Israelites at different key moments uh, of their history, I will be with you. And the Holy Spirit is that for us, presence of God with us. Going along with, uh, there's that, going along with it, the Holy Spirit is person, uh, personal. Several years ago, um, I'd actually, over quite some time, I had a series of conversations with a young man who in his life was really feeling some in-betweenness in his life, in-between some... Um, sort of non-Christian spiritualities and exploration he was doing and Christian spiritualities. And um, uh, yeah, there's more I could say about that. But as we just kind of talked about things and his faith that he had been raised in, there was something that was nagging um, at the back of my mind. There's something I'm not putting my finger on that's always happening in these conversations, and I cannot figure out what it is. And finally one day I realize he will never talk about God as in a personal way. There's never a sense of relationship. When he talks about spirituality, it's always impersonal. Um, so it's always about kind of experiences or whatever, but, but not, not in any kind of relationship way. And the difficult thing with that is that God, God is a personal God. And, you know, we use that term, it's the best thing that we can land on and we can't exactly equate it with what, you know, we mean in terms of, of what it means as a human being, um, to be personal and to relate to others. But, but we see this all over the Bible, you know, that God has a relationship with Abraham. Um, you know, Jesus comes as, as a personal being. And the Holy Spirit is spoken of in personal terms. Um, that's important. Uh, Christianity just has this relational sense. And, and it's an important part in the whole spiritual stew that we're living in. Um, it is an important thing, uh, this sense of relationship. Another thing is the Holy Spirit is a force or power. And I'm going to be honest with you. This, when I um, first like really started to dig into it, I did not like this. Um, And some of this actually was in your doctor of ministry class that you you taught, uh, Michael Velker, and stuff like that. I did not like this. And I think, well, I know the reason why was because of my dealing um, both with this young man but some other things really encountering a lot of impersonal spirituality, non-relational. When we're saying the spirit is a force or power, that that there's times the spirit is talked about in impersonal terms in the New Testament. Um, So in Luke 24, there is uh, one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Um, It's after the Emmaus Road experience and Jesus appears to his uh, disciples there and Jesus... Jesus does some explaining of the resurrection and talks to them about, uh, talks to the disciples about what their mission and ministry will be. And then um, he says this, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he does not speak, I mean, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's not speaking about the Spirit in personal terms. And if you think then of what actually happens in Acts chapter 2 on uh, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit doesn't really appear as a personal being there. It's this sound of rushing wind and tongues of fire, and it's like this invading force into that space and that situation. Um, now, why does, does that matter? If you think about just one situation, like with uh, um, Jane and Darlene and this dysfunctional company that they work for, um, there, there's some kind of um, evil power there at work, something, some kind of spiritual force that's at work there. And the Holy Spirit can be a force to push back, you know, to, to be a, um, a changing, redemptive presence coming in that someone like Jane can participate with, you know, can take up a role um, in, in being part of change that can happen. Um, If you think about in Ephesians uh, 4, verse 3, where there's this encouragement to us as Christians to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, And specifically, one of the concerns there in Ephesians is this division, Um, this division between Jews and Gentiles and that in Christ that is being overcome and that unity of the Holy Spirit to think of it as as a force or a power in the church that that people have responsibility for you know that they they should participate in and take that seriously but this is something that the Holy Spirit is doing as this pushing back against a divisive power that has kept Jews and Gentiles apart. Okay, so that that's why uh, one reason why that can matter. So both the personal um, and uh, the Holy Spirit as a force uh, are significant to this. Uh, Let's talk about Two practical steps. I'm hoping that we'll have a little bit of time for comments or conversation or whatever. Um, Let me refer back to something that happened in our church life that was uh, a learning experience. When um, church did elder selection for the first time in a long time, and the fact that there had been such a gap um, in time, meant that we could really kind of start um, from the bottom up and, and redo it in very significant ways, just what the process of elder selection looked like. And so, there are a lot of steps to this, you know, a lot of um, communication to do along the way and talking about things, uh, and talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in this. Okay. So one part, um, it wasn't the final part, it was kind of in the middle there somewhere, was that we are going to hand forms out to the congregation, and they are going to write on those forms um, the names of, of people that they wanted to uh, put forward as elders. Okay, And so um, even there, we had to stop and say, what are we doing? Like, what are we asking them to do as they do that? And um, the question that we came to was, okay, let's actually think about going into it, what is most likely how they are thinking about it? Like the question in their mind that they're answering as they put those names down on the paper. And most likely the question is, who do I think should be an elder? Okay, sounds kind of obvious. And so we did this reframe. Uh, that was, um, okay, the question we want want to to, um, hold up before us as a congregation, the question that we want you to think about uh, as you write down names is, who has the Holy Spirit been raising up as an elder? So we're not just talking about this moment, but we're talking about what has happened over time leading up to this point. And, and what has the Holy Spirit's activity been doing? Who, did it bother anybody that I didn't say whom? Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: who has the Holy Spirit been raising up as an elder? Okay. And just in that, that, that was a, a learning exercise because we realize it's not just so much about coming up with questions, but you have to think about what are the default questions that people work with? So that we can think about and reframe thum, some of these things. So um, first one is just rethink our stories in terms of the Holy Spirit's activities. And not just our stories, but rethink um, events or situations that we're dealing with now in terms of what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's true, I mean, the example that I used was of a congregation, but that's true in a personal way, you know, individual way as well. I want to mention just two quick subnotes with this. Um, I really think uh, there's a, um, yeah, so we have to um, encourage people to, use the Holy Spirit as the subject in sentences. And sometimes I have to say it like that, okay? That a sentence has um, a verb and you have a subject that's doing the verb. Because in some of the times in our church where people can share stories or or we've had um, times for people to share their spiritual autobiography. And man, some of those are, are just so wonderful and um such learning experiences about people but um, but but sometimes people have trouble saying God did or the Holy Spirit did or um, this is what uh, I believe the Holy Spirit was doing through this time in my life and man that has to happen you know the Holy Spirit has to be the subject and I know people feel like well I don't want to say something that the Holy Spirit didn't do and and we just kind of have to go out and take those risks, you know, we, we just have to. Um, other thing, other um, thing that I would say along with this point is just note that our theology of the Holy Spirit can be warped in this way. And just, just a basic example was, uh, I remember hearing about the Christian musician Rich Mullins, who died a long time ago now, but um, uh, they said that when he was doing a concert, um, you know, it might be a real great concert one night, lots of energy and kind of passion for worship. And a fan would say to him afterwards, uh, oh, that was so great. The Holy Spirit was really moving tonight. And Rich Mullins would say, no. That was the drum set. (laughs) And Rich Mullins had experience in his life of working in difficult situations in refugee camps in Southeast Asia, um, on Native American reservations, and seeing real suffering and pain. And he, he just didn't like that sense where you have an exciting, great experience, and you put the stamp of the Holy Spirit on it. And so where I'm saying that the Holy, our Holy Spirit theology can get warped is when we say, if it's exciting and inspiring or there's something triumphant that, that has happened, that's the Holy Spirit. If it's suffering and difficulty for that, well, we talk about Jesus with that because Jesus suffered, you know? And so we split it that way. We can't do that. You know, we need to hold those together Um, One thing I would just say is if the Holy Spirit came on Jesus at baptism, I assume that the Holy Spirit went all the way to the cross with Jesus and was there. Um, Suggestion number two is a good learning thing. Ask non-Christians about their spiritual beliefs. Find out. um, Genuinely be curious um, which means, don't ask questions. Like when you hear something you don't like, don't ask questions to put them into a corner or whatever. Be curious that you really want to know what they believe. And, and um, you know, ask, you know, do you believe there's a spiritual realm or um, uh, if so, you know, what does, what do spiritual things, what difference does it make to your life or There's lots of things. Sometimes these conversations can be easier with people that you don't know at all really, that you've just met, than they can be with people that you've been familiar with for a long time. Um, And I'm going to offer one extreme challenge, okay. In our church, we did a theme year on prayer that did not go well. Um, it, it wasn't like anybody thought it was a bad disaster. I was just very frustrated frustrated by it. I did not feel like I provided good leadership for the congregation in this. And, and prayer is just hard because you can't do a big splashy event and make a lot of big noise about it because what we had thought about going into it is we, we want to change the culture of prayer and the very way we think about prayer in our church. But that just, you can't just make a few technical changes to do that. Um, but something that came out of it that I'm, I'm still working on um, is this. How can I or how can we get to a place where it's impossible to function without relying on the Holy Spirit? And I say that because I believe that is a reality of the New Testament church. Okay, that, that at their better moments, <laughs> you obviously see some in healthy church situations, but at their better moments, this is what they understood their life to be. And so how do we do that? Because too much in our church, uh, too much in my life, it's just about strategy and planning and the stuff that we can manage. And we've got to find ways to move beyond that. Okay, that's not much time left. I'm so curious about what's been popping in your mind uh, through this time. But, I'd, yeah, I'd just like to hear, have a comment or something you want me to clarify. I had a quick question yeah. for clarity. When you talked about <coughs> spiritual vocabulary and how we're losing that vocabulary, I
1: mean, what is spiritual vocabulary?
0: Yeah, so it's just simply those words that, that I was talking about, like um, sin, which, which in the larger culture, like sin is a cartoonish word anymore. You know, it's a bit of a joke. <laughs> um, uh, evil, uh, grace. Um, uh, what about What about a word like death? Not just simply talking about the end of life, but death as... Uh, a spiritual death, or death um, like Romans talks about it, where death is like a power. You know, that those words are valuable uh, to talk about spirituality, to talk about what spiritually is happening. And if we use those words, it lessens our ability to meaningfully engage Christian spirituality. Yeah, we don't use those. We don't use those words enough. I, I think that they're people in churches that feel very comfortable with them. but I actually, I'm just curious because English is actually my second language, so in terms of, you know, is that vocabulary accessible and widely known to maybe people who haven't spoken English first? And, you know, as someone who has not spoken English first, I know the way that words, how they're translated, and meaning and all that, so I'm just curious. So, you know, with that, what I wonder is to tap into their first language first. Um, to find out about what that spiritual vocabulary would be like in the language that they're most familiar with. I don't, just a thought.
1: Yes. Uh, Just to carry on with that idea, I think that the spiritual language uh, comes in two dimensions. You have a Holy Spirit dimension and an evil spirit dimension. So I would put, and I would just ask you to comment on this, uh, the idea of compassion and indifference so those are spiritual wor- words that describe the spiritual reality. We can respond with compassion to a situation. We can respond with indifference to a situation. The Holy Spirit calls us to respond with compassion. The worldly spirit or, or the devil spirit calls us to be indifferent. Uh, and that there are hundreds of those kind of uh, dimensions, uh, contrasting spiritual influences at work in our lives. And our challenge is to respond the way God's Spirit wants us to.
0: Yeah, and give us an opportunity to then dig in. Mm-hmm. You know, to like, what causes that indifference? Well, um, a,
1: a devil's spirit or a personal, a, a egotistical spirit, but that we open our eyes up to our believers to say, you are constantly going to be confronted with situations where you can respond in a spiritual way, holy spiritual way, or in a non- Godly, spiritual
0: way. Yeah, and and can we make a list? You're
1: saying spiritual vocabulary. You know, can we come up with hundreds of those kinds of descriptions that we need to be on the lookout
0: for? Yeah, and um, yeah, New Testament is rich with language, and just to pay attention to it and to take it seriously and to use it in our church discussions. Mm-hmm. That's what I care about. Yeah, yeah, Kyle. Yeah. Um I have an assumption, and it might be a, a wrong assumption, that presenting these ideas to a lot of our churches, like the idea of talking about the Holy Spirit in a ways that make the Holy Spirit subject and very personal and active in our daily lives, would be kind of foreign, mm-hmm. especially because of um, maybe some of our theology and some of our practice. So. How did you um, start to introduce these ideas in ways that made them um, become practical instead of just theological conversations? So um, there's an aspect of enlisting people simply to um, start talking in these terms, so so at least there is the start of something within a group, or maybe within a church, or whatever, where people are willing to name things. You know, are willing to use the Holy Spirit as a subject in sentence, to talk about church life, or to talk about what's happening in our small group, or or whatever. And and if there can be few people. Um, and, and that begins, you know, you know, that serves as a model and begins to, um, you know, for other people to see it. Because other people are, I think, are waiting for that. You know, they, again, I mean, there is this great spiritual hunger in our culture um, and in our churches and it's one way of speaking to that is saying, you know, we believe in spiritual reality We believe it's about more than us. And so we're willing to speak in those terms um, There's certainly, you know, in in churches or um, In groups, you know, just to foster discussions about it, and you know, sermons classes, whatever, but but it um, I think on ground level um, Ask people to use it, you know, to employ the language. Yeah. Yes? It's been a few years ago, I was talking about the Holy Spirit and just interacting with people. And, uh, and the elder would come up to me later and tell me I'm scaring people and we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I so I just listen to him and I talk whenever. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Be bold, be brave. Churches need it, you know, badly, yeah. Yeah. All right, Um, thank you very much